Welcome, welcome to the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. It's the morning show with Chris and Mo. I am Chris. That is Mo. Mo, how are you this morning, sir? It's Monday, Monday, coming off of college football and other things in sports. Just ready to talk some sports, Chris. Mo, what a great way to start the week. Short week for us, obviously. Labor Labor Day was yesterday, so everyone had. Mm-hmm. I hope you had a great, safe, happy, wonderful Labor Day with whoever you hang out with on your Labor Day. Uh, but like Mo said, Mo, football this week, my man. It's coming. I, I, I'm excited. We, we've got college football already started. Big things happening in college football, and everybody's got their fantasy rosters ready. Everybody's ready to watch the real thing. There's so much going on, especially this coming weekend. It's going to be insane. So, Mo, I, I, had, a, uh, I had a fantasy football draft. That I I missed. Like it was my it's my fourth league. I completely forgot the draft was happening. I was doing family things. I was I was not a happy guy. It's a keeper league, so I got my keepers in like three days ago. So I, I was good to go there. I kept Jalen Waddle and I kept St. Brown from the Lions. So I was like, I'll keep a couple of receivers and I'll figure out the rest in the draft. So I totally missed the draft, right? So I get of course and of course, Mo, of course, no one texts me. Throughout the entire draft process, being like, hey, Chris, the draft is happening. You're going to get nothing. You know, radio silence. (laughs) So it's a complete auto draft, but it's a complete auto draft where I I didn't even make a board, Mo. So it's just like best thing on the board. But listen to how this shook out, all right? I I don't love it, but I I don't hate it. So my quarterback is Deshaun Watson, which I'm, hey, I got a competent quarterback. So I was okay with that. My running back is Nick Chubb. And Jonathan Taylor, I wasn't wow. happy about JT, but I was like, hey, value-wise, oh, okay, all right, Chubb and JT. My tight end is Mark Andrews, so I was like, okay, that's a top tight end. My third wide receiver that I didn't keep, CD, CD Lamb, so I was like, oh, okay. And then on my bench, I got Pittman, Cooks, Robinson, the running back from uh, Washington, uh, Mooney, the receiver from Chicago, and then the rookie running back from Miami. I was like, okay, for, for having no no draft board and the computer just doing it for me, Mo, I felt pretty blessed. Wow, that's an amazing draft for an auto draft. Right? Yep. That's well, what I'm well saying. Well done, computer. So I'm like, I, I hope I win this league based on auto draft, and I just ruffle some feathers, Mo. <laughs> Speaking of ruffling feathers, Mo, let's, let's start the show this morning with, it was all the talk uh, this weekend. It was all the talk yesterday. It continues to be the talk today. And that is Coach Prime, baby. Coach Prime led his team, led Colorado, to a victory over TCU. I didn't think it was going to happen, Mo. I, I didn't think. I, I, I love Coach Prime. I like what they're doing with that with that team. But I, I just didn't, I didn't see it happening. So not only did it happen, uh, now, of course, you have the fallout of it happening. And it's a lot of noise, Mo. It's so much noise coming out of Colorado, right? So, you know, Coach Prime, he does his press conference, and he's kind of taking shots at people, but he's doing it in a wholesome, respectful, teaching young men a lesson kind of way, which I thought to myself, well done. Okay, I I have no issue with that. Uh, But, Mo, the national narrative right now with Colorado is that they're a contender. And while I love what they did, against TCU. They also did a lot of things really poorly, like play defense. 
So, <laughs> Mo, right. I have to ask you, coming out of their first victory of the season, where are you as far as what is this team going to do realistically? Because right now it's an all-time high. Right now we're talking contending for the playoffs. Right now we're talking knocking off other ranked teams. Right now we're talking how Coach Prime has this team on the map. And I, I it was a great win, Mo. It was, an, it was a great win. I think it shocked a lot of people. But for me, the needle hasn't really moved. Like at, on any any given Saturday in college football, you can see things like this, right? Sure. Like ranked teams fall all the time. Um, I don't think TCU was, you know, that upper echelon team coming into the season anyways. But Mo, has your needle moved more than mine? Where, where do you sit on Colorado right now? So I love I loved the impact of the game. It just reverberated throughout college football, right? It was it was huge, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was a great win, great way to start off the Coach Prime era. But having said that, like you said, the high is so high. The high right now is watch out, Georgia. Watch out, Alabama. We're coming for you. And I, I, I think that reality will taper off. What happens next week if – they lose by three points to somebody in a in a great game, but they lose. Or what happens if they they won game one in an electric way, but they still end up, I don't know, losing three out of the next five games. I, I guess what I'm saying is I loved it. And I do think in the bigger picture down the road, Colorado will make an impact, but I don't think they're a contender. I don't think you know what? For them, make a bowl. If they make a bowl, that would be great. But I don't think that's a lock either. Like you, you pointed out something that's so obvious. Like they don't play much defense. They they made some timely plays, but they also got a couple assists from some really bad decisions by TCU. But defensively, you can pretty much go up and down the field on them, and that's that's going to be a problem moving forward during the season. As great a motivator as he is, as great a coach as he may well become. I just think at some point, your overall talent, it will affect your game. It will affect your season. They have some playmakers. They've got, as the young guys say, they've got some dogs out there. But I don't think they have enough, enough dogs right now to contend. And another thing, Mo, they, don't, they didn't have a running game in game one either. And I know, say what you want about the running game in the NFL – there is still value for the running game in college football, and they didn't have much of one in their debut. And they got run all over on the defensive side. So if, if you just if you look at it, take away the story, take away the emotions from it, take away the coach prime aspect. It was a poor defensive performance. It was a one-dimensional offense that plays were made, but it wasn't balanced by any means. And that just isn't a recipe for success over the long haul in a college football season. But Mo, aside from that, aside from people kind of shifting too far one way when it comes to Colorado, as much credit as I gave Dion at the start of this segment for not really rubbing it, because let's be honest, you know, he could have come out and been like, I told you, I told like he had every right to do that because sure. so many people said that they were going to get rolled by TCU and it's a good story and he is going to do positive things for the program, but not many people nationally gave them a chance to win this game, but he I didn't mean. come out and he didn't take that tack. So, so good for coach prime, but he did come out 
when he was asked about one of his young players, Travis Hunter, who is all over, by the way, right now. This young man, like, he has his own segment on the Bleacher Report app. Um, like, he popped up, like, three weeks ago just, like, talking college football. I was like, who who gave, like, a 19-year-old? Like, what, who is, what is he doing? And I was like, oh, he, play, he plays for Colorado. Got it. So he's, his visibility, his brand, if you will, has been popping up all over the place. He had a great game um, in their opener. He did. But then Coach Prime turned around and asked about his great game and said that he's going to be a number one pick when he comes out. And he didn't just say that he, he's a first-round talent. He didn't just say that he thinks he could go in the first round because they, they clarified, Mo. They were like, well, wait a minute, Coach Prime. What do you mean by that? And he said, no, he is going to be a number one pick. Like the first over pick, first first overall pick. He, he's that kind of kid. And I was like, all right, hang on. My guy doesn't come out. He's not eligible until 2025. Right. So we're we're we're, we're a, a sneeze or two away from him even being eligible to be in the draft, Mo. Is, is Coach Prime getting caught up in the emotion of the, the feelings from that win? But I, I get the kid is talented. He is. And I get he, he's he likes to hype his team up. Mo, he's he's not going first overall. I, I don't know about that. I honestly don't. I, I don't deny his talent and what he could continue to develop into. Will he be the number one pick in 2025? I have no idea, honestly. I don't know. But I looking at what I see right now, I, I would be I would be like that's like pie in the sky, right? That's Coach Prime saying he believes it. And 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 look, that can go a long way. If if your coach believes in you. And, and that festers throughout the, the locker room and into you and gives you that kind of confidence. Maybe that young man can go above and beyond what he is right now um, as a talent. And in 2025, maybe he is the best player in college football, but that's a lot of maybes. So I, I'm going to say he's a very good player. And I think he does have a chance to be a first round pick, not the number one pick. Gene's joining us in the comments this morning. Gene said they played a severely overrated TCU team who was way overranked because they were in the natty. They are a six to seven win team no and they have issues me. on both lines. Gene, you're spot on, spot on my guy. Uh, I believe that they were also ranked higher than they should have been. I think they were getting too much coming in and you saw it. You saw what the product of that was. Uh, Freddie's dropping the fire emojis in the chat this morning. What's up, Rob's Freddy? saying that now TCU is overrated. This is no funny, argument, right? So, Mo, the other thing that happened, and we're, we're going to stay in the world of college football real quick, and we're actually going to bring on some friends right now. Uh, we're going to bring Jonathan onto the show. And, Mo, we are, well, I, I'll speak for myself. I am the pinnacle of professionalism here on the morning show and <laughs> although jonathan has been laughing at the misfortune of the yankees for weeks upon oh weeks i know now, where this is going all right and you know i'm, I'm just saying yankees have won six out of seven you know they look like not a triple a baseball team anymore you know we're almost back to 500 again i feel like a kansas city royals fan like these are these are the things royals fans say we're almost back to 500 it's, it's still a little jarring to me um, but, Mo, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy that t that takes shots at, you know, LSU or anything. You know, because <laughs> I'm, I'm not. We're going to talk about it, but I'm just saying, Mo. I can, I can I'm not going to be that guy. I can tell you're not. All right? And I'm not going to smile. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be professional. All right? So let's, let's welcome JG to the show right now. What up, JG? What's good, JG? Good morning, guys. Morning. 
All right, JG, we're 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 gonna, we're gonna start with LSU. Um, so I, I'm I, obviously that that's your team. That's what you bleed for. Um, but I want you to take me both sides of the ball. Okay. Was L so looking go so actually let's let's back up one more step. JG, what is the benefit of putting a game like this on your schedule to start this? Because don't doesn't the downside almost always outweigh the positives if you're LSU and you lose that game? It's great if you win it, right? When you got a when it's two top tens or two top twelves or two top fifteens early in the season, the idea is. And obviously, both teams kind of sign on thinking, well, if we can win that game, we've kind of catapulted ourselves to start the season off because we got to win against a good ranked team. But someone's going to walk out losing that game, and now someone's going to be behind the eight ball saying not only did we have a loss on our record already, we lost to a ranked team already. So it is the first game of the season. It is early. So you, you we have that thing in college football where early losses don't look nearly as bad as late losses. So I understand that. But, JG, as an LSU fan, looking at it as objectively as you can, what? where do we stand this morning as far as LSU going forward for the rest of the season? What did you see that you think could be an issue long-term? Or is it just one of those things where two good teams played each other and someone had to lose? Well, in regards to the schedule, LSU's done this every year. They've played top-level teams as a season opener Probably for the last you know ten to fifteen years, you can go back and just check. You know they've played Oregon at, uh, on opening day. They played North Carolina and Atlanta once. Uh, TCU they opened the season before. Florida State now back to back. They're going to do USC here uh, uh, pretty soon. Uh, you know, so I mean this this is just a history of what LSU does beginning of the season. They want the it's it's yes you want to win games on it, but at the same time LSU being a brand of football, they're they're big name brand. They go play the big name teams every season on opening day because they want national TV. Everybody gets to watch them, regardless if you win or lose. In that aspect of, you know, you're you're putting yourself out there, and that's that's important. It's important if you're a brand like LSU. Uh, in regards to the game itself, yeah, it, it's tough. If you lose, especially if you if you lose this game, it is hard. You're relying now. So we, we have to rely on Florida State to continue to be good. Because if they continue to be good, that loss isn't as bad. That if they stay a top five team throughout the season, okay, you lost to a team that's a really good team, they're number five and they or top five throughout. You know they're going to compete for uh, the the opportunities to be in the playoff. That loss doesn't look as bad. If you continue winning, if you win on your part, that may help you because if you need Florida State to continue winning, now Florida State tanks and they fall off a cliff. Like they've done over the last, you know, several years, Eric. Just to let you know, remind you on that. Uh, that loss doesn't look as good anymore, and that's the risk. That is the risk and reward. If you lose to a team and they are really good and they stay really good, then you know it's not as bad of a loss. If they fall off and they're not as good, well, now you look like you just didn't belong in that game, and you don't belong in the, in the top twenty-five yourself. You don't definitely don't belong in the conversation of a championship contender. So it is a it, it's a risk. You know, but there's also the reward if you win that game for yourself. That what it does, and, and there's there's times where we've seen that where LSU beats Oregon, uh, where Tyron Matthew absolutely dominated that game years ago, and it absolutely catapulted them into the conversation of a national title contender. So the risk reward is always going to be there for it. The game itself what was very disappointing to me, and what was very noticeable to me was how we utilize Harold Perkins. Harold Perkins is the best pass rusher, the most athletic pass rusher in the country. He showed that last year as a freshman. Uh, 
They have, he's already been drawing comparisons to Micah Parsons from the Dallas Cowboys. And that's how they said, we're going to utilize him just like how the Cowboys utilize Parsons. I've watched, being, I live in Dallas-Fort Worth. I am not a Cowboy fan, but I live in Dallas-Fort Worth. I have to watch a handful of games of Cowboys just because it's always on TV out here. How we utilize Harold Perkins is not even remotely close to how the Dallas Cowboys utilized Michael Parsons. It was not even this remotely the same. And it looks like Perkins had no idea what he was doing because that is not what he is, not an off-the-ball linebacker. He is a on-the-line, rush the passer, go be athletic, go be the most athletic player on the field and be the most disruptive player on the field. And that's not how they used him. He was lost in coverage. He was lost as a spy, and that's not his game. And so that hurt because, again, what allowed you a success in the first quarter was pressure. You were able to get some pressure on Jordan Travis. You were able to make him a little bit uncomfortable, make some decisions that he didn't want to make. You blitzed him here and there, threw an interception, should have thrown another interception on the five-yard line, and you made him uncomfortable. Then we started playing a little bit more back off coverage and rushing only four, and you gave him time. That didn't make any sense to me. If you pressured him and he was uncomfortable, you continue the pressure, especially if your secondary, your cornerbacks ideally are getting burnt and they're getting beat on a regular basis on every play by Keon Coleman. Keon Coleman, that, that, that's a dude. I was very impressed. I've seen a little bit about him you know, when he was at Michigan State. That was impressive. And he's going to be a top receiver in this draft in 2024 because of you know, because of his ability of his size and speed. And he took full advantage and he bullied LSU secondary on that night on Sunday. So that was where I looked at it. Because you know you're under man in the secondary. You need to pressure the quarterback. You need to blitz. You need to be able to find ways to go make Jordan Travis uncomfortable, make decisions a little bit quicker. And they didn't do that. They made him comfortable. And that was a problem on the defensive side. The offensive side, they just didn't they, their rhythm got off. And then didn't help. And a lot of LSU fans are blaming Jaden Daniels for Jaden Daniels played great. He played great. He was not the problem. Drops by the receivers. That was a problem. Not being able to run the ball as effectively was a problem. Not being able to protect Jaden was a problem. There was a lot of issues that I saw from LSU this weekend that makes me very concerned. Not going into Mississippi State or you know, Auburn or Florida, but when we go play Alabama in November. That's going to be very concerning because can we do the things that we're supposed to do that we need to do to beat Alabama? I didn't see it Sunday night, and it's going to make me very concerned moving forward just how the rest of the season, the first, the first half of the season, lines up to make me feel very comfortable or it's going to make me very nervous when we go play Alabama in November. So Eric says, Chris, why push the panic button over one game? LSU could still upset Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, so come on. Don't panic over one loss. And I agree. LSU could be perfectly fine from this. But, JG, the margin of error has shrunk now. Because mm-hmm. now you're looking at games where if you're undefeated going into play Alabama, the narrative is completely different. Now it's two great teams going at each other. Of course, one is going to lose. These are probably both playoff teams. It is what it is. Now it could be a situation where if Alabama is undefeated, LSU still has one loss. Now it's, well, what does a two-loss LSU team look like? Now you're having that conversation, which isn't a conversation you want to have. You don't want to start talking about what does two losses look like as far as the playoff goes. You know, if, if they lose somewhere else, like, are they still a playoff team? Three losses. And you still want to have that conversation. So I'm not saying LSU's season is over, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. No. But you just don't want to start 
having to look at it and be like, well, now we need to win every game because if we lose another one, they're going to start saying two losses going to get us to the playoffs. We don't know. You just don't want to have that conversation. No, it's not a panic. Let me put it this way. It's not a panic. Last season we lost uh, to Florida State. It was just based off of mistakes. You know, a, a punt, you know, two punt muffs uh, and a missed extra point. Those were those, those were mistakes in the game. Sunday we were we were bullied, and that's not what you notice from LSU football. LSU football are the bullies. Uh, you know, LSU Alabama is usually the bullies in college football. LSU got bullied on Sunday night by Florida State. That that to me is a concern because that if, if, when you have a team that like LSU that that gets just abused. Okay, that's not a good sign. And that's what I say. It's not a panic. Am I throwing the season away? No, I'm not throwing the season away because I still think we should be able to beat Mississippi State. We should be able to beat Ole Miss. We should be able to beat Auburn. We should beat Florida. We should be able to work our way back uh, to to at least be in contention for the SEC. Am I saying that we're a national title contender? No. I, I, I think we're, we have a lot of things to cover before even putting ourselves back in the conversation of a national title contender. But the SEC is still an opportunity. We showed that last year, losing to Florida State, and you're able to beat Alabama, and you're able to to put yourself in the conversation for the SEC championship game. I think that's still a likelihood. But there's things that you have to clean up. There's things that you have to fix. There's things that you have to be able to strategically plan out and scheme. And they didn't do that against Florida State. They got out schemed. They got out coached. They had they had things that just didn't go their way because of what they tried to do. It wasn't the fact that it was mistakes. They got out schemed and it looked like they put players in positions that weren't going to succeed. That's the problem for that. Again, Harold Perkins does not need to be an off the ball linebacker. He needs to be the one that goes and pressures the quarterback. He had seven and a half sacks last year. Put him in a position to go get 10 sacks as a, as a rush linebacker. That's what he needs to be able to be doing. And especially if you know your cornerbacks are not as good as we've had in the past, you know, they're they're just not they're undermanned in the secondary. They're not as good. You need to pressure the quarterback to give them opportunities to at least make time to cover. They didn't do that. So there, there's some schematic stuff that's going to be in question. I'm not throwing the season away after one game, but I, I will say I'm nervous because of what I saw from my team, not because of the game itself, not because of the result of the game. It's more of what I saw schematically, what I saw strategically. It's not what I thought it was going to be. Not what I was. Not what they were telling us it was going to be either. And that's the thing, you know. That's that's the thing about what it is. Is we see it, you know, and it didn't. It didn't look like what we were told. So there's there's some concerns, especially like I said, for that Alabama game in November. There's going to be some concerns moving the rest of the season going into that. Mo, with about two minutes left in that game, like minute forty-five, uh, Florida State's driving the ball, and then they're they're up. The game's over. They're up by you know three scores at that point, and they don't take. Their pedal, their foot off the pedal, Mo. In fact, not only do they take their, do they not take their foot off the pedal, their quarterback is still running the ball, putting his shoulder down, trying to barrel it into the end zone in a game that's already over. Mo, any issue with that? Any issue with it? Where I mean, at that point, it, it clearly looked like Florida State was piling on a little bit at the end. Granted, LSU comes back the next drive, a minute and a half to go. They hit a deep ball. So they, they both end up scoring touchdowns, you know, in, in a three-score game in the last two minutes where it was already kind of over. But, Mo, are you put, if, if you're the head coach of Florida, you're up by, you know, 16, 17 points, under two minutes to go. You have the ball. I understand you're getting down in, in the red zone there. Are you doing that, Mo? 
or are you just kind of running it out, letting that clock wind down? What do you What are you doing in that situation? I'm actually going to just let the clock wind down. I'm not doing that, but I I I don't have a problem with it. Look, it 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 is kind of running it up a little bit, but you know what? For Florida State, where they've been in recent years, it's a big deal for them to beat LSU. It matters. It's kind of like what JG said, too. Going forward, if Florida State is as good as they looked versus LSU throughout the season and they're going to end up being a top-five team, that's great for Florida State. It's also great for LSU. Like, LSU just became the biggest Florida State fans. They need these guys to be every bit as good as they look this past weekend because then that loss isn't that bad a loss. Because, look, Alabama will lose. And some of the other top teams will lose. So I, I, I understand where this will all uh, measure out in the bigger picture. But as I watched that game, Chris, it was funny. So they, they score. And then I thought, so LSU get angry and said, oh, so we're still playing. So they go back with the deep ball to let them know, like, well, we can still score too. You know what I mean? But it, it really was a case. I thought it was a little bit petty. But at the same time, Florida State hasn't been what Florida State was, right? Florida State hasn't been what they were for, for many, many years. So for them, this might have been like their Super Bowl. Not not a coming out party, but like their Super Bowl, like their national championship. This might be – we talked about this with Colorado. It's the, This is as high as the high can get. The question is, can Florida State sustain this high? JG, obviously as a fan of LSU, you see that and you're probably like you're irked just because you're an LSU fan, so you don't want to see them scoring touchdowns in general. But take take that out of it. If this wasn't against LSU, do you see Florida State having the same kind of mentality? Because it's a big game, LSU, they're trying to stake a claim to start their season. Is there That's why we're doing it? Or do you just have no issue with it across the board? I don't have an issue across the board because college football, college football is about style points. You have to be impressive. You, and, and 42 points or 40 plus points against LSU, regardless of, of what we think LSU is now, 40 plus points against LSU is very impressive. You know, it's the same thing that, you know, putting putting 60 points up against uh, an FCS team is still impressive. You know, style points matter in college football. If this was the NFL, different story because they don't do that in the NFL. And they have, they have the unwritten rules where they don't do that. College football, there is no unwritten rules for it. You are going to impress people, so I, I don't. I don't have a problem with that they did against uh, my Tigers. I don't stop. Stop them! I, I'm yelling at my defense. You know, on my couch, I'm yelling, "Stop them!" You know, you, don't let them. Don't don't let them score. If they're going to take shots on you, don't be pissed off at them for trying to do it. Be pissed off that they're that they're still doing it. Right. That's how I view on that. I don't have a problem of Florida State trying to run the score up on them by all means. Do it if you can do it, and if you you know, and and if we're if you're able to, I'm pissed off at my defense, and I'm pissed off at my team for letting them do it. Gentlemen, let's pivot real quick to a little major league baseball. This is this is JG's happy spot because he's his Braves are still the best team in major league baseball. Yeah. They're still destined probably to make it to the World Series and probably win the whole damn thing. So. The smile comes back to JG's face. We're, we're in happier times over here. JG, if I am Shohei Otani, I need to figure out what – I don't know what my agent is doing. Why is my agent saying things about my surgery? Why is my agent saying things like 
surgery is and I don't care if it is inevitable. I don't care, JG, if I already have the surgery scheduled. If someone's going to talk about my surgery, it's going to be me or I'm going to do it through my interpreter while I'm standing there. What, why is my agent coming out saying things like surgery is inevitable? I don't know if it's going to be Tommy John or not. We're not going to. JG, what is going on? I, I just I just see the money being taken away from Otani every time someone in his circle speaks because it seems like there's not an organized game plan with the focus of how can we still make Shohei the most money? Because every time something, something comes out about this, you're like, oh, it's going to make a little less now. What are we doing? Well, I, I, speaking from experience, uh, the the agent more times than not, I'm going to say more times than not, because sometimes the agent does speak out of turn. More times than not, the agent does speak uh, in regards of the player by the permission of the player. So I, I, I will give the benefit of the doubt right now that that Shohei knew the agent was going to speak uh, upon the surgery part. And, and, and they have to answer questions. You still have to answer the questions right now about that anyway, because that isn't that's that's going on. That's. That's conversations behind, uh, you know, at, at the water cooler by these teams right now. Like they're they're all asking the questions as far as getting a little bit. Pre- you have one month of the season. Angels are not making the playoffs. The teams that are going to be interested uh, in, in, you know, other than the Dodgers, who are they're still they're a playoff team. Mets not a playoff team. Yankees not a playoff team. Mariners are in the race right now. But there's teams that are still asking the questions as far as that are interested that are either out of playoffs and go. What is the status at least? They can't get a lot of information on it, but they're going to ask, what is the status of his health going into the offseason? Is surgery like what they're going everything but what the surgery is? That is strategic in this conversation because Tommy John itself, obviously, he's not pitching in 2024. If it's not Tommy John, which I'm trying to wrap my head on what it could be, but I, you know, again, I'm not a doctor, so I, I'm I don't really know what else it could be other than Tommy John. If it's a UCL injury, you, you're you're putting yourself out there to say that there's a chance that that's what he, he stopped short of saying it's a Tommy John surgery, saying that there could be a chance he pitches in 2024. Do I think that's likely? No, I don't. Does it hurt him in the value wise? Yes, it does. Because again, as I said to you guys you know, last week, he's the unicorn. You know, he's able to pitch and hit and do it very well. How much does this going to hurt him in the long run as a pitcher? Yet to be determined. But the strategic plan by the agent was look, yes, we already know. Everybody knew surgery was going to happen. All right. So instead of the speculation of it and wondering when or you know, when is the surgery going to happen, I think the surgery should have already happened. You know, there's, what, what, what are you gaining right now for Shohei? There's nothing else you're going to gain out of this. You've already, you're already going to get $300 million minimum. There's, you know, you're going to be the MVP. You don't need the last month of the season. There's nobody in the American League that's going to challenge you for the MVP. What, what else you got to prove right now? I would have thought I've already done the surgery and planned out for 2024 from there and be ready because at that point he could be ready at least, you know, by April, May. If it's not Tommy John, by May he could be ready to go. Now you're pushing it to have surgery in November. May turns into June, maybe July, if it's not Tommy John. Obviously, again, if it's Tommy John, it, it is going to be July that we see Shohei Otani, uh, you know, at least as a hitter, because that's what we saw with Bryce Harper. You know, he had it in the off. He had it a little bit earlier in the season last year, a little bit later in the season, not in the off season. He came back in June. I, I, I 
I don't understand the wait. That's the only thing that's about it is. But he answered the, the agent answered the question that everybody knew was coming, just not saying what it was. And again, that's part of the strategic plan because that allows to the conversation to be a pitcher for Shohei. Whereas the teams would be like, okay, if it's not Tommy John, maybe we're comfortable still for him to be a pitcher. If it's a second Tommy John, there's going to be a lot of teams going to be a little bit hesitant to say, yeah, we're going to commit to you to be a pitcher. We're going to commit $500 million to you to be a hitter and pitcher. That's a little bit uneasy. Whereas say, yeah, surgery's coming, not Tommy John. We're not going to say that yet. Just to try to keep the interest of pitching in there still. But isn't that all semantics? Because no one's gonna, no one's going to sign him to a deal until they know what surgery he's having. I mean, it's not going to be a world where he's like, all right, give me your offers. I'm going to sign. Then I'll tell you the surgery. No, they're going to know the full story before any deal is signed. So aren't we just like playing games for no reason now? 100%. Yeah. And that's, but that's, that's the job of the agent though. That is, is you're, you're giving answers without giving answers. It's the politics of the, of the sport. And again, that's why agents could be great politicians if they really wanted to go down that road. They're answering questions without actually answering the question. Yeah. Yeah. He's he, surgery is inevitable. Well, what kind of surgery? Oh, we're not gonna tell you that. We're not gonna, we're not gonna, you'll, you'll find out, you'll, you'll find out later on, but we're not going to tell you right now. You know, that's of course, that's their job is to make sure that they're maximizing the value of the player. And in doing so right now, again, you answered the question, surgery is, is surgery going to happen? Well, yes, yeah, surgery is going to happen. Okay. Is it Tommy John? Maybe. <laughs> it, well, okay. So what else could it be? Uh, it could be something else. Okay. So how do we value you? Oh, he's still a great ball player. So you're going to value him what you think that he should be valued. And that's what the agent's trying to do. You're still maximizing the value of what Shohei Otani is. Shohei Otani is an MVP no matter what. All right. That, that, that don't take away the hitting side of it. He could base himself his stats. He's still MVP. Again, there's nobody I'm trying. There's nobody in the American League that is close to his statistics, you know, hitting-wise, that can challenge him just on hitting alone for an MVP. You know, the 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 cycle of him being the MVP it does include what he does as a pitcher, too. But that's the interesting part is he's not in contention for a Cy Young, though. So you're looking at it as far as the, the full spectrum of pitcher and hitter, why he's a clear-cut favorite as MVP. But if you take the pitching side away and say, who in the American League is challenging him for the MVP? Well, there's no, I mean, there's there's nobody. Yeah. I mean, there, there really isn't. You can have conversations of guys. But, I mean, again, to go to the best team in, the, in baseball, the Orioles, Orioles don't have anybody that you can sit there and say, well, he's an MVP. He's an MVP. Can't, uh, you know, you have got Adley Rushman could get some votes, but he's not going to steal it away from uh, from Otani. Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay doesn't have anybody. The second best team in the American League. Texas Rangers, Corey Seager may get some votes, but not enough to really supplant the Angels. Astros, same thing. There's nobody on the Astros that you could. So it's a it's a clear cut that he's he's an MVP based off of just what he does offensively. You know, so you're going to maximize the value just off of him as a hitter. The what again, what makes him special is being able to do both. They're trying to do what they can to keep the pitching side around, and teams are going to be hesitant on that. But they're going to do everything they can. That you know, the agent and Otani and his people are going to do everything they can to keep him to be a pitcher because they know that is how he will max out on a con on a new contract this offseason. 
And JG, before we get you out of here, real quick, Cody Bellinger talk popped up this weekend. Apparently, four teams are going to be pretty aggressive in their pursuit of Cody Bellinger, who is going to be a free agent when the season comes to an end. Those teams are the Cubs, the Yankees, the Giants, and the Padres. Obviously, he is with the Cubs currently. Uh, JG, about 60 seconds here before we get you out of here. Where do you foresee Cody Bellinger going next season, and what would be the best fit for him? The best fit for him is staying in Chicago. He's very comfortable. That, and that's the biggest part, the biggest part. He went, he was in a big market in LA, a little bit more relaxed, but it was still a big market. He had his highs. He did great, but then he had his moments where things started crumbling around him and the pressure got to him and being MVP, the pressure got to him. Do they, does he not think that's going to be worse in New York? So again, coming, you know, looking at it as far as where where is he going to be comfortable in his career? It's Chicago. And I think that he fits in with the crowd of that city. He fits in with the team very well. It's more, it is a relaxed area, but it's also a very baseball-centric area that you're 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 focused solely on Chicago Cubs baseball. I think I think Chicago's when he needs where he needs to stay at. The money side, if he wants to look at it and say the money side, sure. Yeah, the money side is going to be there. He'd go to New York. That's the case for him if they're going to go down that road. But I think what better suits him is the friendly confines of Wrigley Field, being on the north side with the Chicago Cubs. I think that's a better fit and a better and more relaxed uh, environment to keep him on the trajectory that he has done so far this season, resurrecting his career. We got Gene in the chat taking shots here, a Dodger fan saying that Cubs fans are greater than Dodgers fans. I'm not going to touch that. I'll leave that alone. Uh, Dodger fan, if you want to find Gene wire to wire, he's your guy. Uh, You can go there and talk to Gene about whether or not you are as great as Cub fans. But, JG, thank you so much for hopping on this morning. We really do appreciate it. Uh, We just love having you here. Appreciate the knowledge, JG. As always, guys, love doing this with you all in the mornings. It's always a lot of fun. Appreciate the time with you all. All right. We'll see you next time, JG. Well, always a pleasure to have JG here on the show with us talking baseball. I I know he's a little sad about the LSU Tigers. I understand it. Um, But, Mo, I I agree with everything we said about LSU. The season's not over. Far from over. Far from over, right? I mean, there's still time. There is still time. Now, Clemson, on the other hand, (laughs) I don't know, Mo. (laughs) That's right. That's all I can do. That's all I can do is sigh when it comes to Clemson because – Because I don't know. But, Mo, let's pivot. Over the weekend, it was announced officially that AEW has released CM Punk from his contract. He is no longer gainfully employed by AEW. And it was a termination with cause. Uh, He was involved in another backstage incident. Uh, Apparently, sources say that he did not cause it, uh, but he certainly played a hand in finishing it. Um, But uh, what I found interesting here was that Tony Khan comes out and I I have my own issues with Tony Khan. and I'm not going to let that kind of sway my judgment here. Uh, But Tony Khan comes out and he basically says that I have never felt unsafe in a working environment before this incident took place. And because of what I personally felt for my safety and what I felt for the safety of others who were around this incident, a lot of that is what went into this decision. And I'm not going to sit here and defend CM Punk because obviously he has a myriad of issues. But, Mo, I I am going to say this. 
you run a professional wrestling business. You are probably the second biggest in the world right now. Maybe not in the world. Definitely in the United States, right? Behind WWE. In the United States. This happens backstage. This did, p- emotions get high. People have issues with each other. There are backstage politics. And Tony, no offense, you don't help the situation any. You are, you run the company. You're the face of the company. You're also the head of creative. And you don't have the swagger that a Vince McMahon has. Because Vince isn't seen you know, hanging out publicly with his wrestlers, being all buddy-buddy with him. Vince, for all his faults in the world, Mo, and there's plenty of them, everyone knows, even if you're friends with Vince, business comes first. And if you piss him off or you do something he doesn't like or you don't agree with him, Vince is still going to side with Vince. And Tony has proven that's not the case. Tony has proven that if you're buddy-buddy with him and he likes you, then you might get a little bit of preferential treatment. You might get a more of a friendship relationship than a boss relationship. So Mo, he 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 makes this statement and he says, "I, I felt unsafe. I've never felt this on. What did what did you think was going to happen when you created a wrestling promotion? You didn't think that there were going to be issues with the boys in the back. You right. didn't think that tensions were going to get high every now and then, and there might be some pushing and some shoving. Because don't act like and I, I and the reason this bothers me so much, Mo." is he and i know he didn't say this and i know i'm reading between the lines but when you hear you didn't feel safe what does that mean does that mean you felt like your life was being threatened does that mean you felt like you were going to be the target of physical it didn't it had nothing to do with you tony now i would say it had to do with you because you've created this sort of environment where this stuff happens over and over and over again in your company but as far as you feeling unsafe to a point where you feel like you had to do something about it, where you had to come out and make this grandiose statement as to why you had to fire one of your employees with cause. For me, that just doesn't sit right. If you want to come out and you want to say, listen, we've had too, too many backstage altercations. He's not getting along with people. It's no longer good for business. It's for the morale of our roster. We're putting the group ahead of the one. I would have no issue with any of those things because those things all make sense. When you got one guy constantly causing issues, picking fights, whether he starts them or he finishes them, when you take that stance and you're like, this isn't just good for business anymore, I'm good with that, Mo. But when you want to come out here and tell me that basically your life was in danger or your safety was in danger, in my opinion, stop it stop it am i wrong like i i don't know like it just sat it's it sat wrong with me my man you are you are you are you are muted the thing about tony khan to me is he's he's kind of like a a wrestling character right he wants to be a face but if you see how he runs runs his company he's really a heel he's a heel he's he's a jerk you know it's no secret that cm punk he runs hot naturally. That's who he is as a person, as a man, as a performer. And it doesn't take much to send him over the edge. And I, I think that Tony Khan is petty enough, conniving enough 
to where he would go out of his way to do that and then scream wolf, right? Like cry, like, I can't believe he came at me or there was some kind of violent gesture or, or anything of the sort. My my problem with Tony Khan is he's just not genuine. He's trying really hard to be a junior Vince McMahon, and he's not a Vince McMahon. He's not even a Shane McMahon. I, I just think, like you said, it's disingenuous to run a wrestling company knowing all that goes on. The testosterone level is like times 10. The emotions. Oh, I'm I'm losing tonight. That's how we're playing it. But you told me. You told me you had me a script earlier and it said that I was going to get put over. What happened? A lot of things happened. The backstage politics are insane. With all that in the backdrop, you're shocked that something like this could occur. It, it can't be the first time. There's no way in the history of wrestling this is the first time there was some kind of fight or altercation. It, it, it comes with the business. It's a big part of the business, even though we don't get to see that. People that have been fans of wrestling know that it's not unusual for someone's temper to run hot and there becomes some kind of physical altercation. I think Tony Khan is a showman, but he's just not a very good showman. Speaking of that, Mo, uh, earlier last week, uh, WWE announced a partnership with the NFL. Um, all 32 NFL teams now have custom WWE team inspired championship wow. belts so all 32 teams have a belt uh they put the 32 belts up on the website and then quickly it went from 32 to 31 and the jacksonville jaguars belt disappeared and the initial thought was oh the belt just sold out they're probably didn't make a lot of them so for whatever reason the jacksonville fan base just ate up the championship belt but mo we come to find out that's not the reason it has to do with Tony Khan. Obviously, his dad owns the Jacksonville Jaguars, yeah. and Tony is a major admin-type person with the Jaguars, and he couldn't have it that his NFL team had a belt made by WWE. So I don't know the exact workings of it, but the plug was pulled, and there no longer is a Jacksonville Jaguars WWE championship crazy. belt. Mo, I get, I get it. Like if I'm, if I have the ego, like Vince McMahon would, would have done the exact same thing. Sure. Like that's totally a Vince McMahon move. Egotistical, power hungry, that aligns with Vince's persona, his character, his actual personality. How can Tony Khan call himself a businessman? And he's savvy and he's, he's, engaged with what happens in 2023 and he's a new kind of suave and then you're going to come out and have this emotional reaction yeah I, I don't understand so i try to understand it but like you said if you're a businessman that wwe belt that's good for business it, even though i know that's your competition let's be honest there's the wwe that sits way up and then and then your levels below, they're not your direct competition. They definitely don't see you as their direct competition. But you, you also are involved in another business, the business of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the WWE, the association with that, that only props up the Jaguars. That's good for that business. So you, you're not being a good businessman by being petty. Petty doesn't put money in your pocket. 
And Anthony in the chat said, can he do an AEW belt for Jacksonville? Well, yeah, he could if the NFL agrees to give the licensing to AEW to do That's that. That's not going to happen. Exactly. And happen. I'm the NFL. I'm like, well, no, we're not going to tick off WWE, who's doing exactly. 31 belts for us. Right. Who every time, you know, there's a Super Bowl, they're giving belts to our teams. They're welcoming our guys to their shows when we're All in their the cities, putting them on TV. We're not going to damage that relationship so you can make one belt for one team right. because you couldn't handle your dad's football team being right. <laughs> this is, it sounds dumb when I'm saying it to you. Like, so no. So because Tony's petty, the Jackson, Jacksonville Jaguar fan, I'm sorry, you don't get a championship belt for your team. Unless you want to go out of pocket and spend a couple thousand and have one custom made, but you can't have nice things like everyone else does. That's why we can't have nice things. And that's another thing. What about the fan base, bro? Did you even think about your fan base? I never mind the bit, but your fan base. They're the only fan base. They're beltless. What right. is that about? Right, exactly. Uh at this time we're welcome. <laughs> They're beltless. Uh at this time, let's welcome Brett onto the show. Brett, how's it going this morning, sir? It's going good. It's going good. How are you guys today? Welcome, Brett. Welcome. Brett, don't worry. You you are not beltless. You can go get a Green Bay Packers belt right now if you wanted to. I, I will probably end up getting one at some point. See? But if you're a Jacksonville Jaguar fan, not happening for you. But, Brett, we're, we are so happy that you're here today. And we're going to pivot to basketball. And Team USA, I, I don't want to say finally loses because I didn't want them to lose. But, Mo, I will say this. Team USA finally got burned. We've talked about this for a couple weeks now, about some of the coaching decisions, about their lineup, about their size, about their style of game. And, Mo, you and I have said that there's going to come a point where you play with fire, you get burned, and that's what happened. Mo, what were your takeaways from the loss? Is it as simple as they're just too damn small? So I don't think it's just that. That's a big part of it, right? Because they're just getting bullied um, in the paint. They're getting bullied on the boards. But I would also like to remind everybody that when you watch European basketball or the way the game is played, yes, it's a skilled game, but it's a much more physical game. They play basketball very similar, very, or not, not exactly like, but it's as close to, as much as we argue and debate, it's as close to 90s basketball as you're going to get. They allow a lot more grabbing, a lot more pushing. Um, guys, when they try to cut, they redirect them. They can physically redirect them. When you watch like what Lithuania did against Team USA, a lot of guys watch when guys play defense once their guy catches the ball. Lithuania off the ball, they were manhandling USA Team USA players. Like They were being extra physical. And, and Team USA was looking at the refs like, what's going on? And the refs looking back at them like, we don't call the, the, the ticky-tack stuff. Keep playing. Play ball. Now, if, if you're getting into the nuance of the game, Team USA, the last three games, not just this game, the last three games, they've been iso ball centric. Way too much watching one guy try to make something happen. There's not a lot of ball movement. The, uh, the ball sticks way too often. And when you look at what Lithuania did, yes, they made threes, but when they didn't make shots, they were grabbing boards. They were dominant on the boards. They were just too big and too physical for them. And, and we saw this coming, right? Like 
they easily could have lost either of the previous two games, right? We would agree with that. They they had to come back and they had to rely on on Ant Man being next level and carrying them over. He was actually he actually played well against Lithuania, but if you're going to rely on an individual talent every game, at some point you're going to get burnt. You're going to need more production from Bobby Portis. You're going to need a, a, a better game on both ends of the floor from Jaron Jackson Jr., who if you've been watching, he's been getting manhandled the last three games. He's been getting manhandled. They're, what, what they're showing you is he's a power forward trying to get away with playing center, and he's not a center. And they're showing him he's not a center. He's he's too small. Uh, I watched Valanchunas. Valanchunas looked like Shaq. He looked like Shaq in there. And Valanchunas can barely jump over a phone book. So uh, their size is a problem. But you brought up something that I think is very interesting. I I, I feel like Steve Kerr is reaching with each rotation. Like he still, even right now, doesn't have a set rotation. He, he, he hasn't found that group that he puts on the floor and goes, these are my guys. I trust these five guys to close out games. They're still searching for that unit. And, and I think going forward, the idea that they're going to win the, the, the championships, which we, we think they are, we do. I don't think it's a lock because what's not going to change is they're not going to get any bigger. These European teams, these guys are grown men. These guys have played together eight, 10 years. Like they've got chemistry and they're not like 22 and 21. These guys are a little bit older, 28, 30. These are veterans. These are professionals. And because of the way the game is played and because of how they play, it's a style that this, this young USA team, they're not used to. Remember, this is a very good USA team. But I think we can all agree this is not the best team the USA could put out there. And, gentlemen, let's not forget, <clears throat> beating Team USA – is a big deal to other countries. So Lithuania beating Team USA because we, and again, we do this to ourselves, right? We say that we are the best basketball players in the world playing in the NBA. I wouldn't argue with that, but at the same time, we're not putting the best basketball players in the world into this tournament. But it doesn't matter. That's semantics, right? The rest of the world looks at it and says, here comes Team USA, we, we get everyone's best shot every time. And that's just, that's just the, the name of the game. But, Brett, my question to you is this. So much hate for Steve Kerr after that loss. People, and it, with, the Steve Her, with the Steve Kerr hate comes the Warriors hate. People saying that it looks like Kerr's coaching a team without Steph out there. Oh, look, it, it's the Warriors. <laughs> get down by 21. Hope you can come back in the end. So a lot of Kerr hate coming out of this loss. Is it all on Steve Kerr does this does the success of this team solely ride on the coaching decisions of Kerr moving forward I think one of the biggest takeaways that happened it's it's going to rely a lot of this is going to rely on Jaron Jackson not following out of the game Lithuania they did something different that a lot of teams then didn't, didn't do they didn't allow team USA to hide Jaron Jackson on the weak side and be a weak side help protector they're like we're going to go right into your chest. We're going to put Valanchunas in the post on you. We're going to get you directly involved in the action. What happened? He fouled out in 15 minutes. So now you're looking at a team with a size issue that just got smaller. And now you're playing Walker Kessler, who at times just doesn't look like he's ready for a stage that big. And now you have all sorts of problems. I, I think Kerr's rotations do look whack at times. I do think it's, some of it might be a coaching issue. 
But I, I just think you're looking at a situation where Jaron Jackson's got to avoid foul trouble. He's got to stay in the game because if he goes out, if he gets himself fouled out like he did against Lithuania, they're just going to out-bully us. They out-rebounded us 42-27. to So I, I think it's just a lot of it's just a size issue, and a lot of these guys also might not necessarily are used to playing with each other. They're used to playing not team ball like Golden State does, a lot of these guys, and I think it's just more of a learning curve. So to piggyback off of what Brett said also, Jaron Jackson Jr. is a great defender, but he's at his very best as a weak side defender. Not if not, He's not nearly the defender when it's his man that's getting the ball and he's got to actually just defend the post straight up. He's so much more effective when he can show, recover, and, and cover a lot more ground. I thought Lithuania's strategy of going right at him, like Brett said, that that negated his athleticism, it negated his quickness, and he got into foul trouble. Also, if you guys watch the game, look, and it, it pains me to say this. I'm a Laker fan, it's not a secret. Lithuania, they went, they went, they went Austin Reeves hunting. They went Austin Reeves hunting. They put Austin Reeves in almost every action, and then they singled him out, and he got eaten alive every time. Like they 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 made a point to go right after Austin Reeves to the point where Steve Kerr had to take him out of the game because he was getting owned. John, let me get a quick stat for you. I saw this over the weekend, and I was like, really? Uh, Jason Kidd, 46-0 in world play for Team USA. 46-0. and Jay Kidd's a winner. Right? How about that? That's All right, gentlemen. Bet. We are going to close out the show today doing a rapid fire because every day, every day in the morning show, Mo and I are going to be doing something, something that has to do with the NFL season, and we are going to do some rapid fire win totals, over unders. I'm going to give them to you real quick, and you're just going to give me a real quick uh, over under based on what I give you. And we're going to go alphabetical order because why the heck not? So we're going to start with the Arizona Cardinals. Mo three and a half wins over under. Uh, under. <laughs> I'm going under. <laughs> I'm going under. <laughs> Uh, that seems like a lock that they would get three wins, but I don't think so. I don't think it's a lock. Brett? Yeah, I, I'm going to go under two. I don't have any faith in this team. No, zero. Uh, Brett, Atlanta Falcons, eight and a half wins. Under. That's that's asking a lot to put a lot of faith into Desmond Ritter, and I'm just not there yet, so I'm going to go under. I, I would actually argue that even if Ritter played well, I still think they're a below 500 team. Baltimore Ravens, Mo, 10 and a half wins. Um, I'll take over. I'll take over. I, I think overall, I'm expecting the Ravens to be right back in the picture. I'm actually more concerned about the, the defense than I am the offense. I think Lamar is going to be fine. My only concern is, is this going to be new Lamar that everybody keeps promising us or this is going to be a thousand yard running back Lamar, which I, as a fan of the Ravens, I wouldn't want that. Or as a fan of the NFL in general, because that makes me think Lamar is going to miss more time. So hopefully this is Lamar learning how to slide. Hmm. Ten and a half, Brett, ten and a half. I'll go over to the Ravens every year. They're a regular season team. It's, it's all going to fall apart in the playoffs, but I, I still think that they get over ten and a half. Brett Buffalo Bills, 10 and a half. Oh, man. You know what? Well, the first time I did this, 
I went over. I'm going to actually change it. I'm going to go under. I think they're going to hit nine wins this year. I'm going under as well. I, I just think that they have that peak, and it feels like they're kind of regressing. Seven and a half wins for the Carolina Panthers, Mo. Oof. I know, you know that, that's a good one. That is a that is. I think that's the best one. I, I, you know what? I'm going to go over. I'm going to trust that the young man Bryce Young will pick it up and more or less turn his season. He's going to struggle like all rookies, but I got faith in him, and they have enough talent around him. I'm going to go over. I'll uh. I'll take the under. I think that you're like, it really all comes down to Bryce Young, but I also think an X factor in this is you have one of your leading edge rushers, Brian Burns, is unhappy looking to get out. So I think it's going to come down to Young and what happens with Burns. Brett, uh, Justin Fields is 5-20 and 20 as a starting quarterback in the NFL. The Bears are at 7.5 wins for their over-under this season. What do you think? I really want to say over. I really do. I, I really don't trust Matt Eberflewis or that coaching staff to put anybody in a position to succeed is the issue. So I'm going to take the under, and it's all on the coaching staff on this one. I, I'm taking the under, too. Everybody's really high on Justin Fields, and, and I am, too. But they're talking about him like he's about to make this leap to where he's like a pro bowler, and he's going to throw for 4,000 yards and run for 1,000 yards. And it's a major leap, and I just I think he's going to improve. But he's not going to make that dynamic a leap. Um, well, that's what top five rushing quarterbacks all time do. They do great. I don't know. <laughs> totally wrong, my bad. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about over there. Uh, Mo, Cincinnati Bengals over under 10 and a half wins. Well, if Joe Burrow is healthy, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm making that simple. If Joe Burrow is healthy, over. Agreed. If Burrow's healthy, they could probably sleepwalk to 11 wins. Brett Cleveland Browns, nine and a half wins. That's a good one, too. That's actually another good one to me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, this is this one's this one's tough. I want to go. I'm, I think I'm gonna go over. I think if Deshaun Watson bounces back, pair him with a strong run game and Nick Chubb, and then you have Amari Cooper defense you can build around Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett. I think they have the pieces to be a 10-win team or an 11 win team. Really do. I'm going to stand at nine wins. I, I, I don't think they go over. I don't think no. they go over. Not in that division. I I have a new a new liking for Deshaun Watson. And they're, they're on my fourth fantasy foot. I am all Oh, I know, I know why. Yeah. I'm all aboard now. I need them to go over. I need stats. I, I, I Three days ago, I, I talked a lot of crap about Deshaun Watson. 50% passing percentage. Couldn't throw against second and third. I am on the Deshaun train right now. See, now, now you're now you're talking like you want to see Deshaun from the Texans. That's I, I need I need that. 33 and 7. I need that Watson. Uh Mo, the Dallas Cowboys, 10 and a half wins. Oh, I'm going over. I'm going over. Look, we 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 can debate about the quarterback and all the other things and the drama that comes with Dallas, but talent on both sides of the ball, that's an 11 win team easy. Oh man, I the number was ten and a half. Ten and a half, Brett. Ten and a half. I think they. Hit, I think they hit ten. I think they just miss. I think Mike McCarthy and Mike McCarthy led teams are undisciplined, and I think going up against the AFC East this year, it, paired with that division, I think it's going to cost them a couple extra games this year. Brett Denver Broncos eight and a half. I really want to say they hit eight wins. I, I, I don't see them going any higher than that. 
That's there's not I'm really at. a run game. There's hardly any healthy receivers, I think, in the entirety of Denver at this point. So I'm going to go under. I want I want Russell Wilson to have a a, a a return to where he was to prominence, but like Brett said, and you know this already, all their best receivers are hurt. That like their 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 receiving room looks like nothing but a medical ward right now, and it just screams get Mike Evans, get Mike Evans. But right now, I think they're a 500 team at best. Mo, the Detroit Lions, nine and a half wins. I'm going over. I'm going over. They they've built this squad right. They've drafted well. Um, I, I really like what they did on both sides of the ball. So I, I'm definitely going over. Yeah, I'll I'll go over as well. I have Detroit as my pick to win the win the division, so I'll go over. Brett, your Green Bay Packers, seven and a half wins. I think they can hit eight. I think you're uh, I think Jordan Love, I think he's much farther along than people are gonna expect. I think the X factor with that team is can the receivers stay healthy because the depth behind them is just atrocious. So it'll be interesting, but we have a one of the best running back duos in the league paired with a top 10 defense and Jordan loves farther along than expected. I could see this being an eight to nine win team. I'm going over as well. I uh, People forget that they have two versatile running backs. They have a very good defense. Jordan Love only needs to be solid for them to be a competitive team, and I think he will be solid. So I'm I'm going over. Mo, this line has moved since the start of the preseason. The Houston Texans over under six and a half wins. Wow, it has moved. Um, you know what? I, I I'll go over. I'll give I'll give him more than six wins. I, I'll go over. I think in that division, I I don't think that division is as locked up as people would have you believe. Um, I do. I understand why the Jags are favorite, but I'll go over. I'll. Uh, I think they're going to be a five-one team. I'll. Uh, I'll take the under oh, on them. Brutal. Brett, another line that has moved is the line for the Indianapolis Colts over under six and a half wins for the Colts. Oh, they're. Oh, they're going way under, and Anthony Richardson's having one of the worst rookie seasons since Peyton Manning. I think they're going under because we we all knew coming in Richardson might have the highest peak for the rookies quarterbacks, but he's also the rawest talent and they're not helping him right now with all the drama around him. So they're not setting the young man up for success. I'm definitely going under. Mo, how about the beltless Jacksonville Jaguars over under nine and a half wins? Um, I'm going to go over. I think it's a 10 win team at least. Um, I trust sunshine. I like the players that they have around him. Travis ATN is nice. The receiving core is solid. I'm going to go over. Man, how brutal for Jacksonville. They can't even get a championship off WWE shop. That's rough for them. I'm going to go over. I think with the addition of Calvin Ridley, this is just going to put them over the top. They're, I think they win at least. I think they're going to win 11 games this year. John and I, I'm going to say this right now. And th- this, this, you might judge me for this. This might be a new level of petty. I hope the Jacksonville Jaguars win the Super Bowl and WWE doesn't give them a belt. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You, you set yourself up for that. You have, Why would they? Why? Come on. All right, uh, Brett, Kansas City Chiefs, 11 and a half wins over under. I'll say, I, no, I, I think they hit 12. I think this they're going to hit over. Um, 
man, you know what? I'm going to stand on the 11 wins. I'm actually I'm concerned. Um, look, I I think we're all we believe in Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. The defense is is a solid middle of the road defense, and your best defensive player doesn't plan on showing up anytime soon. And as great as Patrick Mahomes is and what he did in the Super Bowl, if somebody in that receiving core doesn't stand out other than Travis Kelsey, I think they're going to have some struggles. I think that's a concern. So I think I'll stand at 11. Mo, another line that for some reason has come up a little bit must be because Josh Jacobs is back with the team now. Uh, But we have the Las Vegas Raiders at six and a half over under. Yeah, I'm still going under. <laughs> right? How are how are they going to win seven games? Right. I'm going. I'm going under. Brett. Oh, I'm 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 going to take under too. I feel like they'll get to like six wins and then lose lose their chance at the seventh in the most Raider way possible. Brett, how about the Chargers? Nine and a half wins. Oh man, I, I'm going to go with nine. I'm going to go slightly under. I think that that team is just. I think that team was just so bad at stopping the run and so poorly coached that I think it's just going to lead to us. They're going to be slightly disappointing to most fans. I'm going to show Justin Herbert some love, even though I'm not his biggest fan. I know he's talented. I'm going to say they win 10 games. I'm going to go. Over. Mo, how about the Rams? Six and a half wins. <laughs> I'm going under. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going under. Like, come on. Better be careful. Stafford's going to put you in his yearbook. Uh, I'm going to go. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm going to go under as well. So I guess I just turned a picture next to you. Brett, the Miami Dolphins, nine and a half wins. I, I think they go over. If Tua and Jalen Waddle stay healthy, I think that offense is just way too explosive. And that defense, you're going to get Jalen Ramsey back in the middle of the year to for a stretch run. Yeah, I think that's easily a 10-11 win team. I'm going over. He's right. Look, this this is the easiest one. This really is basic. If Tua can stay upright, if he learns how to throw the ball away, get rid of it. Live to play another down. They're they're going to be a, they're going to be eleven, maybe even a twelve win team. That's how explosive they are on offense. That's how balanced they are on defense. Minnesota Vikings, Mo, eight and a half wins. Um, you know what? I'm going to go over. I I know we we want to kill Cousins, but all I'm telling you is. He's built for the regular season for sure. They're, they're going to go. I think they're still going to go over, and he's going to have another big season. I think they're going to go over. I think Cousins is going to be really good like he normally is. I think what's going to kill the Vikings is their defense. It just doesn't look good. They were really bad and old last year, and they just haven't gotten any better. So, Brett, how about the New England Patriots? Six and a half wins. Oh, I hate betting against Bill Belichick, but um, that's actually another good one. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go under. I don't think that's a very good football team. I think it's just gonna be a lot of hospital balls over the middle, and they're just gonna <laughs> run, run, run it. But as soon as they get down, they're not gonna be able to come back. I'm gonna go over. Look, I don't know if they're gonna make the playoffs, but I'll go over because it is a stout defense. They do have. I, I like the running back tandem. And they're not asking Mac Jones to be Patrick Mahomes. They're asking him to be solid, to be to be efficient. Don't turn the ball over. They're going to be a smash mouth team. They're not going to score a lot of points, but you're not going to score a lot of points on them. So I'm going to go over. Mo, well, the New Orleans Saints at nine and a half wins. It better be over. It, better it, look, be. it better be over. Or, or two people, the quarterback and the head coach, they better be renting. Okay. If, if, if things don't go well, they better be renting. 
Yeah, I'm going to go, uh, they're a 10-win team. Half of that's just the poor quality of uh, their division, so I'm going to go over. We're at the New York Giants, seven and a half wins. I'm going to go under. I, I really don't believe in the Giants' uh, talent. I don't believe in Darren Waller, and I don't think Saquon can uh, shoulder such a heavy workload that he did last year. I think he'll end up getting hurt, and it's just going to be a long season for the Giants. So here's the crazy thing. So in our Empire Sports Fantasy Football League, I ended up getting Danny Dimes. So, so I'm going to need Danny Dimes to actually be better than what I think he's going to be. <laughs> so I'm going to need that from Danny Dimes. So I'm going to need a little bit more than the 15 and 5. Um, you know, just, you know, spruce it up a little bit. Like hit hit 20 touchdown passes. And uh, Hey, according to Freddie, excellent choice. Remember, 3,000 yards, 30 touchdown, and like 1,500 rushing yards, according to Freddie. I mean, that's great. Then, then trade me your quarterback for Danny Dimes. I'm all right. I'll pass on that one. Exactly. Um, I, I'm going to go under. I, I just think that they were kind of like cardiac kids last year, and they won a lot of really close games. And I think Brian Dayball did a great job. And I'm not saying he won't do a good job this year, but like I've said before in previous shows, they would need him to be – I'm talking about Danny Dimes. He would need to be better than he was last year for them to repeat the record they had last year. And I don't know if he's going to be better. Well, the New York Jets, the darling of the NFL, nine and a half wins over under. Oh, I'm going over. I'm not even a. I'm not the biggest Jet fan, but I I think they're a ten win team. I think they're a ten win team. Um, But I'll say this: you pointed this out, Chris. Let them get off to a slow start, and that will just continue to roll. Because Aaron, Mm -hmm. nice Aaron, will go back to being normal Aaron. The Jets are so fun to me because I see a scenario in which they're like barely a 500 team, but I'm going to stick with my prediction. They uh, they're over and they win the division and they win 13 games. Wow, that's that's right. You're the one that said that. You did the hot take. All oh right, yeah. Now. Brett, the Philadelphia Eagles, 11 and a half wins. I, as long as they stay healthy, I think they're easily over. I still think they're the deepest team in the NFL. That offense is absolutely insane with Smith, Brown, and uh, Dallas Goddard and Jalen Hurts to build around. Yeah, I think I think they easily get over. I think they're over as well. Um, I watch the Eagles just as a fan of the NFL because that offense is fun. Jalen Hurts is fun to watch. And they've got nothing but dogs on the defensive side of the, of the football. Never mind the front seven. You've got Slay and company in the back. There are problems. As long as they stay healthy, they're the class of the NFC, NFC by far. Mo, the Pittsburgh Steelers, eight and a half wins. I'm going over. I'm going over because I expect there to be another leap in Kenny Pickett's development. I also go over because I trust in Mike Tomlin. I'm going to go uh, over as well because at this point, betting against Mike Tomlin just seems like the wrong move. But also that defense – Still elite. So Pickens, in all reality, he doesn't need to do too much. He just he just can't turn the ball over and lose the game for them, honestly. But I expect another big jump. So I'm I'm thinking this is a nine win team. Brett, the San Francisco 49ers, ten and a half wins over oh. under. Oh, hold on, I got to go to the casino real quick. I got to smash that under. <laughs> I think that's an easy under. Unfortunate, sorry, Mo, but uh, I think that's a, I think that's an under. You have a quarterback who could hardly push the ball down the field coming off a UCL surgery. So I think it's under. 
I think we're a 10 win team, so I'm going to hold at 10. I, I, I do have concern about the quarterback position, but the star of the, the star of the Niners, at least in recent years, it hadn't been the quarterback. The quarterback has like been a complimentary player. So I just need Purdy or whoever to be complimentary to the run game and the defense. Well, the Seattle Seahawks, nine and a half wins. You know what? Uh, I'm gonna go over. I think they, I, I, I think they're a pretty good team. Um, when you look at Geno and what he's become, and and I, and I hope he can sustain it. He's got explosive talent on the outside, solid run game. Um, really, with Seattle, you just wonder if the defense can be consistent. I'll I'll take the over as well on uh, the Seahawks. Brett, how about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Six and a half. Baker time. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go under. I think that quarterback play is gonna kill them. And they didn't have a run game last year, and now they're out without Jensen this year. I I just don't think that this is gonna be a a very good team to watch. I don't think it's gonna be a very fun team to watch either. I don't think it's gonna be a good team, but it might be a fun team to watch in a bad way. It might be. It might, I think it's gonna be some entertaining stuff going on in Tampa Bay. I'm definitely taking the under in Baker time. Tennessee Titans most seven and a half wins. You know what? This is for jury. I'm going to go over. <laughs> I'm going to go over. I'm going to say King, Hangry, and company, I, I think they get nine wins. Yeah, I, I think they have enough talent to go over with Henry. They can control the clock, mix in a little play action there with a new guy to go over. And then my favorite bet, I'm smashing the over on this one, the Washington Commanders, six and a half wins. I'm going over. Yeah, I'm I going think. over. I, I love. I've always, I've always loved the receiving core. But if Sam Howe is solid, if he's really good, if he takes another step in his progression to go with that receiving core, um, they're going to be fun to watch. And they might defense? be. They, they, they're going to yeah, be sneaky. Defense. They've already got one of the top defenses. Right, that 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 front four. They're one of the few teams that can get to your quarterback without blitzing. I agree. I'll take the over. Sam Howell, all he's got to do is keep the offense on the field long enough to give that defense a breather so they're not out there constantly. And if they do that, then, yeah, this is this is easily going to be an over. All right, gentlemen. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the morning show this morning. We are days away from week one of the oh, NFL oh. season. We got more football coverage throughout the rest of the week here on the morning show. Thank you to everyone who was out there in our comments today. Eric, Anthony, Gene, all coming with some pretty hot takes this morning. Thank you so much to JG, who joined us earlier on the show. No. Brett, who joined us later here on the show. Mo, wrap us up. Hey, thanks for everybody that's in the chat, that supports the show, that supports Empire Sports Network. Thanks for listening. Check out all the great content we have. Empire Sports Network. Check out the Empire. We will be back here tomorrow morning, getting you off to the right start every morning here on Sports Empire Network with The Morning Show with Chris and Mo. So until then, we'll see you.